Welcome to the SaaS Brand Strategy Show. We are back. My name is Ryan Copperud. As always, I'm here with my co-hosts, Mike Dracy and Dustin Robertson, as we are every week. Mike, Dustin, hi, hello. Hi, hello. Hello. Uh, you know, for those familiar with the show, normally we're talking uh, SaaS brands and their strategies, but uh, for those familiar with the show, you know we are also talking about a lot of B2C brands, uh, B2C brand strategies and experiences, and we draw on a lot of that to inform B2B. Um, so today we're going to do just that with a very special guest on today's show. We're welcoming a fourth member behind the microphone, uh, Aaron Provine, president at Unnew Outdoor Brand Gear Trade. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Awesome. We're glad to have you as well. Uh, most days I try to drive, but um, Mike, this is this is your car today. I know you worked most closely with Aaron over the course of this engagement. Um, so I'm going to hand the steering wheel off to you and let you take it away. Uh, but first, Aaron, just uh, tell tell the folks a little bit about yourself. Tell us about who you are and what you've done and where you come from and how you ended up uh, at, at Gear Trade, where we worked with you most recently. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my story is, you know, effectively very similar to a lot of outdoor people, right? You move to an outdoor town, wanting to live an outdoor lifestyle, want to ski, bike, trail run, etc. I'm no different. Uh, moved to Salt Lake in uh, 2009, uh, 2000, 2000 um, to go to the University of Utah, graduated from the University of Utah, uh, wanted to be a serial ski bum, skiing up at Alta and Snowbird. Uh, worked up there for a bit, uh, wanted to stay in the industry, wanted to continue to uh, to do that. Uh, started working for uh, a small little startup called Backcountry. Uh, kind of worked my way up there, uh, you know, held a ton of different roles, started in accounting, moved to merchandising, uh, finished my career at Backcountry in 2018 as uh, VP of, of hard goods merchandising and digital merchandising. Um, as I departed there, really was kind of looking to see, you know, what was going on in the world and, and uh, was really interested in kind of the idea around e-commerce and what that ultimately meant uh, and the opportunity within outdoor. There weren't a whole lot of uh, people within outdoor that were doing it. Most consumers at that point in time uh, were really only able to either sell via a marketplace like Kiss, like uh, uh, Facebook or eBay or, uh, you know, kind of your Craigslist slash KSL if you're in Salt Lake. Um, there wasn't really like a, a great opportunity for people to really unload their gear. Uh, and within fashion, it's, it had really grown with your thread ups, with your real reels, et cetera. Um, so kind of believed in, in the opportunity, believed in uh, the market, believed in kind of where things were, were headed, uh, believed that consumerism and sustainability uh, were somewhat uh, not connected uh, and felt that there was a huge opportunity for, for there to be an outdoor retailer that, uh, that connected the two. Um, so uh, acquired gear trade at the end of 2019, uh, right before pandemic. Uh, gear trade at that point in time was pretty small, under-resourced, uh, wasn't really being managed. Uh, if you go back to the Wayback Machine, uh, gear trade looks completely different today than it than it did uh, then. So felt that it had a ton of opportunity and and some uh, really cool unlocks that that we just needed to uh, accomplish in order to drive 
customer value and, and customer growth. So uh, that's where we are and what we've, what we've effectively been trying to accomplish for the past three years. Yeah, and Dustin kind of just referenced, you know, uh, before we got on the mic that GearTrade is essentially one of the one of the internet's oldest startups. Like, when did GearTrade begin? What year? GearTrade was founded in ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine, and it's just kind of, it it just it it just kind of, as you said, was under resourced. It was the, um, it was kind of. Um, I won't say thriving, but it was surviving by default. There really wasn't another place that was specific to uh, outdoor gear that had outdoor gear ethos and expertise behind it. And the the other part of this is that there were there are very few people behind the scenes, just like running like crazy, keeping this thing um, tied together with like bailing wire and you know uh, and duct tape, but also just doing really kick-ass customer service for such a small team. And that really was what kind of maintained the momentum over the years. Right. Yeah. Gear trade, you know, was, was kind of your classic, uh, you know, peer-to-peer marketplace conundrum. Right. Um, and, and what I mean by that is um, my personal belief is that it's really difficult to operate a peer-to-peer marketplace unless you mean everything to everyone. Um, it's really difficult to be specialized, really difficult to be niche. And gear trade somewhat fell into that. Uh, it had a niche market, had uh, really valuable and loyal customers, but it didn't, it wasn't able to scale and, and show the size because it operated in this, in this, in this small market. Um, so, you know, our, our, our thought and our intention was effectively to own that and figure out how to, how to drive that customer value. Yeah, and the the big connective thread here among myself and Dustin and Aaron is the backcountry.com connection and experience. And the the other secret sauce um, that kept GearTrade alive um, is for people in the know, they knew that Backcountry cycled much of their returns through GearTrade. It became the secondary marketplace for things that they couldn't resell as new. Um, and so it turned up on gear trade and that was kind of a secret spot, um, for people that knew that's how that whole thing worked. That's right. That's right. And yeah. That I mean, was our, go ahead. It was our release valve for the, uh, liberal return policy, which, you know, REI had the same thing. They would just do these used gear sales in their stores. And when I was in college in the nineties, that was when I bought all my gear because it's the only time I could afford it and you get used stuff at REI and it was awesome. And so, um, as a digital entity, we had to solve that problem for backcountry because the used gear was piling up and we could no longer donate it. And so, um, so John, who we've mentioned on the show multiple times, he was like a mentor to all of us. Um, it was his idea to get gear trade and then put the used returns on there and all sorts of wild stuff happened with his brain running that thing with again, no resources. Cause it was a separate company from backcountry. So we didn't own it. But um, there was a time where the prices would tick down by like a tenth of a dollar every day until it sold. So you would just sort by like highest discount and you'd be like, oh, look at this XTR derailleur for $4. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's like wild, wild stuff. John's that, brain in action. That algorithm, algorithm was there until about 2001 or 20, 2021. <laughs> <laughs> was it still going? Was it still taking yeah, the process? Yeah, backcountry unwound it probably about eight months ago. <laughs> yeah. 
so to, to Aaron's credit and the rest of the team, and we, we'll get into this, this growth story, um, the dependence on backcountry as a source has decreased while they've um, brought in a whole bunch of other um, channels, including way more individuals into the process, into the sales, and also into the buying side of it. So when Aaron came on board, um, he looked at this mess, this hot mess that was bouncing along on its own um, power seemingly, and, you know, decided to invest it in. One of the things he decided to invest in was, you know, how do we bring this to market? How do we position this? Like, what is, what is our brand and how do we actually activate this? And he and I worked pretty closely hand in hand to actually um, uh, activate a category design approach uh, to developing and naming and owning what, what he calls, what we call now, unnew outdoor. And Aaron, when you like, when you had to do triage, when you walked in the door and you're like, holy shit, the website's antiquated, you know, we don't have people here. Like, and then how did you end up on kind of the brand side of things or even just like the, the brand strategy side of things? Like, where did that fit into your thinking and, and, and how did that play out? Yeah. So when we were going through the acquisition process, I mean, really there were a couple of things that, that we identified, right? Number one was just the overall UX. Uh, the UX of gear trade at that point in time was just was just poor. Um, number two was uh, just this idea around service, right? Uh, knowing that in order to be a peer-to-peer marketplace that, uh, that accelerates, um, you had to be everything to everyone. We didn't believe that we fit into that, into that model. Um, and so we, we had to come up with some sort of a service element to really kind of drive that. Um, the third component was we knew that, that there was this really loyal customer base. We didn't want to completely go away from them and we didn't want, want to want to alienate them. So uh, I had worked on a, uh, on a project when I was at Backcountry um, with a group of people uh, uh, around kind of just like brand identification uh, and really kind of the brand story. Uh, it, it was, it was a, a book uh, called The Compass and Nail. Uh, who, was, who was the guy that wrote that? Craig Mike? Wilson. Craig Wilson. Yeah, so, uh, so we had done this project and we created kind of the story arc for, for Backcountry. And that ultimately informed kind of this idea around what was important to the Backcountry customer and how uh, you approach uh, your, your current customer base going forward. And so um, wanted to do something similar before we made any gigantic pivots, right? Wanted to understand who our customer was, understand what powered them, uh, what made them tick, and ultimately why they shopped, shopped at GearTrade. So, uh, so one of the very first investments that we made was, was hiring Mike, having Mike come on board, uh, having Mike kind of uh, interact with our customers, do a bunch of customer interviews, uh, and really try to identify what that story arc was. Uh, you know, and a couple of theme, themes ended up, ended up coming out. Um, number one was uh, people were frugal. Number two, uh, they wanted to keep gear in use longer. They didn't really care where it went uh, or who it went to. They just wanted to pass it on and, and, and keep it around. Um, number three, the word used is kind of a negative connotation, right? So, so you know, kind of encapsulating all of those things and knowing that, that our customer was, you know, is, is a pretty dedicated outdoors 
customer. They, you know, they, they do the stuff. They don't, they don't screw around. Uh, you know, they're the people that are in the wild using the shit and beating the shit out of it. Um, and, and, uh, you know, they're pretty knowledgeable about how to, you know, when you tear your jacket, how to repair it. Um, so really trying to understand that and distill that was, was our primary focus was my primary focus before I really pivoted and moved it. So our customer type that, that, that we, uh, that we learned about, we call them adventurous. Uh, and, uh, and one of the key takeaways was again, like used was kind of a negative word. Uh, so we, we identified, uh, unknew as, as kind of the category by which we would, we would operate and by which we would, uh, create the design elements around, around updating our site and effectively talking to our con consumers. Aaron, how, um, and maybe we'll get to this eventually, but my immediate question is how, or, and maybe this is a question for you too, Mike, how did we arrive at unnew and were there other words that got talked through and why unnew specifically? And how has that resonated with your customers over time? So, I mean, the, the story, so, so Mike comes to us and he's, you know, he's telling us that, you know, used is kind of a negative word, right? And it's like, you go through all the words, it's, you know, re-commerce, recycle, re-everything, right? It's yep. just stick, stick RE on whatever, whatever word you want. And that's kind of like the language that, um, you know, that everybody uses. I mean, this is, it's, it's a very similar concept to uh, a lot of the greenwashing that, that we're, that's going on in the market right now. It's like, everybody's totally. trying to save the planet, um, you know, save the planet is the new kind of like, it's driving me nuts. Um, but, you know, effectively, uh, there was a campaign that uh, 7up had run uh, called the Unnew Cola in the 80s. And Mike, Mike came to us and he said, well, you know, you know, this worked for for 7up. Why don't we call it Unnew, right? That way you're kind of, you're not in the re everything and you're, uh, and you, and you, you kind of create this walled garden of this potential market you're not alienating people that want to buy uh, used things by calling it this nasty word. You're creating something that is uh, that people can engage with and people aren't afraid of. Um, yeah. It also had to be a bucket big enough to handle um, not only like people selling their used gear, but um, uh, like inventory. Like there's a whole bunch of uh, gear pipelines that come into gear trade now um samples uh there's all this stuff like there there's there's probably some things we shouldn't talk about in terms of relationships with outdoor brands and how they move some of their gear through there so we wanted to be uh, uh we wanted to have a term that was interesting that you could own but it's also that that captured all the different ways that gear can be unnew without resorting to all these tropes that are out there and again like the beauty of it is you can own it. It it makes sense once you think about it for a second, but it's also like this interesting hook that you can build on and own. And, and you know, as we always talk about this empty bucket that you can fill up with meaning. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, so that was, that was effectively kind of the output. And then we've used that as effectively our guiding light uh, for how we approach uh, either introducing new services or, uh, or, or just talking to our customer and just general marketing language. Yeah. And I'll just say to Aaron and their team's credit, um, they really embrace this. And this is what we talk about, like conviction, like own it with conviction. Like when we do strategic work, 
and we make sure it's grounded in consumer insights, qualitative consumer insights, and that it's uh, it's solid. A lot of times, the work that comes out of that is different. And it's scary because it's like, well, we can't say that. Nobody else is saying that. And to Aaron's credit and to his team's credit, they're like, hell yeah, let's go. That's totally different, but it's also right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, part, you know, the other, the other problem that effectively we were, we were dealing with is that, um, you know, over the past, you know, let's call it 15 years, there's been cheap traffic that's been purchased from Facebook and Google. Right. And it's and it's really kind of driven the whole direct consumer model uh, in ways that that, I, you know, I think people are realizing now that there's a major problem um, and you're seeing a lot of direct consumer models that are not profitable. Um, and for us, you know, we wanted to create a branding element and we wanted to really kind of develop, you know, our brand in a way that they would you know, stand the test of time, right? As things change, as things move, you know, what is the brand element that tells our story? Uh, and that's, and that's, that's really the major important thing, you know, because we have to build brand, we have to be able to tell a story, uh, you know, and, and so that we can, so that we can be different and we're not just paying for, for free traffic. And, and the end result is, you know, Apple changes, you know, uh, their, uh, their software in iOS 14 and, and, you know, you're seeing the, the, you know, the entire marketing industry just being completely flipped cost per acquisition going through the roof, you know, marketing budgets are, are, you know, becoming unwieldy, uh, you know, direct to consumer brands are trying to figure out what the next stage is, right. It's like, everybody's going to, to, to brick and mortar all of a sudden, again, everybody's going to catalog, um, all to basically limit the damage. Uh, that's happening because of Google and Facebook and, and ad tracking. So Aaron, when you bring this new idea into the market and you talked about not wanting to alienate your existing customers, like in your mind, top, top two or three things, what, what worked and then what were the kind of the barriers? What were the challenges when you're thinking about this unnew outdoor category design strategy? Yeah. So you know, again, like I think step one, you know, in our, in our hypothesis was really number one, get the brand right. Uh, number two was, uh, again, going back to kind of this idea around peer to peer marketplaces, it's just my general belief that like a peer to peer marketplace won't exist. It can't exist unless you have some sort of service or you're everything to everybody. We weren't going to be everything to everybody. Um, and so, you know, as, as we kind of went through our, 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 our shift, our pivot, um, you know, we, we, you know, we really looked at kind of the friction points and utilized, uh, you know, the customer feedback with just, you know, friction and, and, and where it is within, within our, our process. Uh, and that really drove kind of this idea around, uh, our consignment model, right. And our consignment model is effectively, you know, customer can order, a, a, a label, a box, whatever, we'll ship that to them. They can just pile their gear in. We take care of all the rest, right. We, we list the item, take photos of the item, do all, all the work. And, and really the goal was, we we know that how how difficult it is to to list a you know a pair of skis a tent like it just takes time and energy and a lot of people just don't want to deal with it right uh, and and a and a common you know thread between a lot of the customers that that we interviewed was I have all of this stuff in my in my garage uh, you know but I don't have the time 
I don't have the energy. I don't want to, right? But I need to get rid of it, you know, because, you know, it's it's just sitting there. So we, you know, we utilized kind of that, that, that mentality and that, and that thread to really kind of launch our, our consignment model. Uh, it's been live for about nine months. Currently, it represents the majority of our sales already. Um, and, and it's in it, it represents the majority of our customer acquisition. Uh, and it's, and it's completely changed our overall profile, our profitability and margin profile internally. Um, you know, and, and again, it, it, it has everything to do with outdoor people tend to have a lot of gear. Adventurous tend to have a lot of gear, uh, a lot of really good gear. Uh, and there's just not a lot of places that will, uh, that will, that will take the gear in the way that, that we will. We don't care about seasonality. We're taking skis right now. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't really care about, about the category. You want to ship us, uh, you know, a pair of shoes. Great. You want to ship us a tent. Awesome. You want to ship us a fleece jacket. Fantastic. Um, we approach everything with kind of this authenticity around, around outdoor gear. We, you know, everybody that we've hired is, is, uh, you know, is experienced. They know the gear, they know the stuff. Um, and so really, you know, we, we, we kind of built that within, within our model uh, in every design element, whether it be consignment, whether it be the way that we talk to our customers, whether it be, uh, you know, uh, our UX on, on our platform has all been designed with this idea of reduce friction, uh, allow customers to have a great experience, uh, allow them to have some sort of semblance of control, right? They're selling their own gear, so they, they need to be able to control the model. We allow them to change the price uh, of the of the item that they send in, so we have a complete user experience around being able to do that. We allow them to if they want their item back, we'll send it back to them. Uh, again, they own the item. Um, you know, if uh, uh, you know if the item doesn't sell, uh, we allow them to donate it or get it back. You know, again, like the whole idea around just transparency and being able to uh, you know kind of build in the design elements in the in the in the pieces that that these customers believe in. They want transparency. They want to be a part of a community. They want their gear to go to a good home. Um, you know, all of these elements were have, have effectively been driven by the customer feedback that, that we received. What, um, so one of the biggest benefits we see from this work, Aaron, is getting everybody aligned to the story that you want to tell and sell. And then eventually your customers will tell and sell that for you. So what was it like just knowing gear trades history, it never had a story to tell and sell. And so what was it like pre and post, and now you're starting to grow. So you have that story to kind of align people to, but yeah. like, what did it take to get Rob aligned to tell and sell the story? <laughs> Well, I, I mean, you know, so again, like going back to the story of gear trade, it was, you know, Jim and John bought gear trade in, in 2005. Right. And, and to your point, they, 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 they bought it to effectively move backcountry return inventory. Um, they, you know, there, there's, you know, backcountry has always had a belief where they, the return inventory that they, that they get, they couldn't resell if it was, uh, if it was, had some sort of use, if it, if it had been marked up, if it, if if something had been had been wrong with it, um, so they had utilized Gear Trade as effectively that that channel. Um, you know, Jim and John sold Backcountry, and I think at that point in time, they they just they, they kind of started doing their own their own thing, right? And they became focused in different areas of their life, which totally totally makes sense. And Gear Trade just 
kind of fell by the wayside. Um, there hadn't been any thought or investment around how to improve it, uh, how to how to really operate it. Uh, they just kind of left Rob on an island. And by time I acquired Gear Trade, Rob had been kind of operating on his own for the better part of a decade. Uh, and he was ready for change. He knew that there needed to be change. He had seen others around him, uh, you know, in, in the used gear market really kind of flourish and start to take, take market share and start to do interesting things. And he wanted to do those things. He could just, just never get Jim or John to be aligned to, to, to what those, those things were. Um, so he was actually pretty excited and pretty invigorated when we stepped on. And of course, bringing in, uh, Mike who, you know, he had, uh, uh, he, you know, he had worked with the backcountry and he had been around uh, when he was at backcountry, uh, just kind of helped cement just the, the overall process, right? It was kind of keeping things internal and keeping things uh, in the know. And, um, you know, he was very much a part of the process, still is, um, you know, and, and, and really helped guide us in, in terms of, you know, that institutional knowledge. One thing that a lot of companies, when they pivot, you know, they go away from is the institutional knowledge, you know, and they get two, three years down the, down the road. And they're like, you remember that guy that did X should have fucking kept him around. <laughs> uh, we should have maybe picked his brain a little bit more and, and, and kind of figured out what, you know, what made it tick. Um, you know, and again, like the, the really interesting thing about your trade when I acquired it is, is, uh, you know, it wasn't growing, but it wasn't, you know, fully dead. Right, uh, it was still doing a, a sizable amount of revenue, uh, and and its marketing budget was basically zero. Um, they went, they hadn't been spending anything, and so um, you know it 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 just you know him being a part of that and being a part of that process really kind of a, helped us align the overall story uh, and really kind of create this moment for us to uh, really tell the story as we go forward. And yeah, so what we is talk it about like now that. You now that you have that story to tell, because you didn't have it before, right? And you guys had to figure it out. But now that you have it, like, what is it like to bring a new hire on or to, you know, tell somebody what you do? Yeah. So, I mean, it's much, much easier. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we, you know, we can tell them like, this is, this is our belief system. This is our value system. This is our customer. This is, this is what we do and why we do it. Um, you know, and it, and it's bled into, uh, you know, we wrote, uh, you know, basically a, uh, you know, our, our brand statement, which is, which is on our, on our, on our, on our about us page. Um, you know, Mike had put in a lot of, a lot of effort around that, but basically it's, it's, it's the lens through which we, we look at the, look at our brand and look at, at, at our customers. Um, and, you know, that allows us to really set the table for saying, this is what we do. This is why we do it. This is how we do it. Gets people aligned, brings in really like-minded people. You know, the really uh, powerful part about a lot of the customer, a lot of the employees that we've hired, um, you know, we've gone from, you know, effectively robbed to, I mean, we have 22 employees today, um, you know, which is, which is pretty quick. Um you know, and everybody is aligned. Everybody believes in the ethos. It's all about, you know, keeping gear in, in, in the wild for longer. And so a lot of the elements that, that we, that we built there have just been building blocks for how we talk to everybody. Right. And it really allows our employees to say, this is, this is what we are. This is, uh, where we believe in, um, you know, and, and, and so it's just, it's made that conversation 
easier. It's also brought in people that really believe in it. Nice. Yeah. yeah. The manifesto is essentially a point of view. Um, and then Aaron has, you know, we've talked about, you can use it internally or externally and Aaron and gear trade have put it on right on their site. And it's something they point to. Um, and it has stood the test of time because we did that almost two years ago. And I go back and I read it and I'm like, yep, totally accurate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's accurate and people comment about it. People talk yeah. about it. Uh, we've had brands <laughs> tell us about it. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it, it's valuable in, in just kind of setting the table for what it is, right? Uh, and, and how we approach, approach the world. Yep. Cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we're, um, you said you're up to 22 employees. Yeah. And what are you, any other milestones? Cause I mean, we're talking about, we went from one employee to 22, like, you know, there's, there's less reliability on one key vendor. Like, like what kind of units are you guys moving? You don't have to get into profitability or anything, but any other milestones that kind of support the idea of a successful launch of the new outdoor category? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I mean, you referenced the press release uh, that you, that you had seen that we had launched uh, earlier this year, um, you know, 45,000 units uh, is what we've kept, uh, kept in the outdoors. Uh, you know, we've grown to 22 employees. We're about to move to a second warehouse. Uh, so we're going from 6,000 square feet to 20,000 square feet. Um, we are, I mean, we're, we're packed in our building. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, we are, uh, you know, we, we've, you know, from a, from a consignment and held inventory standpoint, it's starting to make up the majority of our business. Uh, we're not even a full year into it. Uh, we crossed the year line, uh, on, on, uh, July 27th. Um, you know, and of course, like it took us, you know, a, a full month, uh, before, you know, before we really started seeing things. Um, but the most promising part about, about that, that launch, you know, there was a lot of nervousness around, okay, we're going to hold the inventory. We're going to bring it in. We're going to process it. Uh, we actually launched consignment we had it hidden on our site. Uh, and we had customers finding it right out of the gate, uh, and ordering POs, sending us gear. I mean, we, it, it's, it's been, it's been wildly popular, uh, from the start, um, so far within, within that model, uh, you know, we've already processed, uh, almost 30,000 items. Um, you know, we're not even, we're not even a year end. So we're going to, we're going to process more items, uh, or we should be able to process more items than we sold last year, uh, through our, through our consignment model in yep. a full year. One of my favorite anecdotes about the launch of that consignment model was, like a week into it and a, a box, a, a box that was used for a, a lawnmower, a lawnmower box showed up and somebody had essentially like emptied their entire gear closet into a lawnmower box and sent yeah. it to gear trade. <laughs> you know, I mean, so, you know, when we designed the model, you know, we're, we're sitting here and, you know, I mean, you, when you, when you go through kind of the design process, there's, you, you think about all the worst case scenarios, right? It's like, well, what if this happens or what if that happens or, you know, like, how do we deal with this? Um, and one of the things that I was like severely concerned about, like was having just major issues with it was just, you know, what if people order a, you know, order a label and they send us one unit? right? It's like you're paying for the, for the one unit. Um, and, and literally within the first week, uh, this, this customer 
sends us, I mean, there were, there were 97, 97 units in there. Uh, and it was an, it was, he had bought an electric lawnmower. So Tim, like perfect customer, right? It's like perfect <laughs> customer picture, uh, bought an electric lawnmower clearly believes in kind of the, uh, you know, the, the ideals, uh, and just packs his stuff in there, sends this box to us. Uh, and, and it was, it was probably one of the first 10 boxes that we had, that we had gotten. And I mean, it was all great gear, all great stuff. We sold through everything. Um, but it was just like, it was at that moment that I was like, okay, I think we're okay. I think we're going to be good here. Either that or, uh, oh, damn. <laughs> well, I mean, there was, uh, there was, there was a no shit moment, right? Uh, we're like, well, fuck. Um, you know, we, we created a language for it. It's called the box of death. Um, you know, and everybody gets it because you open it up and it is, it is just packed to the brim with just stuff. Um, and, and every, every employee that we've hired has gone through it. They've dealt with it. We get them all the time. Uh, quite frankly, it's what we want. We love it. Uh, you know, but there, but we do call it a box of death because it's uh it's a grind. Yeah. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure it's one of those. Oh, oops! Someone got a box of death. See you in seven hours, because you're just you're gonna be you're gonna be elbow deep in it all all afternoon. Yeah, this is gonna be your day. This yeah. is gonna be your day. You know, and and it's uh you know it's it's wild because you know on average we're you know we receive you know anywhere from twenty to forty boxes a day, right? And so one box of death is one employee just like on that. That's what they do for the day, right? Right. And so it does slow us down a bit, but at the end of the day, like. I mean, it's gear and, and, and we love it. And so it's, uh, you know, it's pretty wild how, how it happens. So, Aaron, given your radar sweep and your knowledge of kind of the circular economy and regenerative um, trends within retail and everything else and what you're tracking, like, what do you see in the near and, and long-term future for the kind of the unnew outdoor category at gear trade? Yeah, so I, I mean... We're in an interesting moment right now. You know, I think, you know, again, like the last 15 years has been fueled by VC, a lot of VC money, a lot of free money, right? Now that interest rates are going up, um, there seems to be a little bit of some spooked people um, in the in the in the PE world, in the VC world. Um, you know, and and so, you know, I th I think the next the next six months are going to be really interesting, right? Used gear in general, most of the players haven't made a profit yet, right? You look at ThreadUp's PL, you look at uh, Real Real, you know, and and all of them are showing negative negative net income, right? And some of that is just due to the nature of the business. Um, you're dealing with, you know, an item of one, quality of one, product of one. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, we've seen some competitors go away, uh, you know, um, uh, renewal workshop just got, you know, acquired in in kind of a lot, what seems like the last minute sale. Um, and, and a lot of people have, have, have left them, um, you know, uh, you know, we've seen kind of the rise of new, you know, kind of white label marketplaces, um, you know, it's an interesting kind of moving, moving target, but I think ultimately, you know, as we look at the next, you know, six to eight months, it really comes down to optimization, right? Really optimizing, optimizing for our customer, optimizing our costs internally, really trying to figure out how we cross that line. Um, Cause 
I think as we come out of whatever we're staring down the barrel of here, whether it's a recession or something else, um, you know, the stronger that we can be from a PL standpoint and from a from an operation standpoint, I think that's just going to accelerate us and shoot us out of the barrel uh, as as things start to improve. So for us, really, the next the next you know next little bit is really kind of optimized on uh, on optimization, really trying to figure out how to make things easier for our customer, how to uh, how to make things faster internally. Uh, how to uh, how to generally make the experience a lot more valuable for everyone involved. Cool. Yeah. Dig it, Mike. What else? What's left, Dustin? What's um, left? Yeah, Dustin. Um, nothing. I just think this is a killer example of, you know, uh, anybody who's trying to gather an audience and get people to tell and sell the story you got to have a point of view and you got to leave it how you're different. So here's Aaron doing it in the used gear marketplace, which used is the enemy. It's unnew. Fantastic. And, uh, yeah, there are a lot of people in the space too. So, um, it's pretty cool to see gear trade become one of the leaders. It's, it's pretty wild how, uh, how crowded it's gotten. Yeah. There's all sorts of different models and that'd be a whole nother podcast, but, yeah. yeah the we'll call we'll call one out that's not a direct competitor but the pros closet has spent a ton of ec trying to figure out how to do this for bikes and to their credit i think they have come up with something that's different um and to aaron's insight that you need to offer service they they led with that right but yeah that business started off as an ebay store so you know you never know you never know what you got when you're selling on ebay Evo, yeah. Evo gear started off as an eBay store. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Bryce, yeah. Bryce started with, uh, with used gear out of his, out of his truck, you know, the pros closet, I think is a really interesting example. And, and, you know, you talk about a model where those guys are doing something interesting. Um, they're doing something different, uh, and they're, uh, you know, compared to other models out there, they're not being subsidized by greenwashing from a brand. Um, you know, one common theme that we continue to see and that we continue to just, keep tabs on is just kind of this idea around, you know, we're going to tell a sustainability story, but we also want you to buy a shit ton of new shit, you know? Um, and, and you see it, you know, from, from Patagonia, you see it from North face, you see it from REI, you see it from, you know, all the big, all the big players, you know, and, and, and it's, and it's a little bit of a confusing message, I think for a lot of consumers, like, are you trying to quote unquote, save the planet? Uh, or do you, or are you just trying to make me a consumer here and you're just trying to be, you know, hundred percent in consumerism, uh, and you want me to buy brand new stuff. Um, you know, and so I think the pros closet has done a really good job of leaning into their whole ethos, their ideal, uh, and, and have tackled the used bike market in a really, really interesting way. Yeah. I mean, they're in a different position because they're generally doing high-end bikes. So they kind of took the trade in your car approach, trade in your bike. And, you right. know, so, um, yeah, kind of a different challenge than y'all have, but they do go over the bike with a fine tooth comb and mark yeah. all the marks on it. And like, if you buy one from them, you know what you're getting, which is pretty cool. So. Yeah. It's, uh, it's certified, certified pre-owned. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 
Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for your time, man. Appreciate it. This has been yeah. great, Aaron. Thanks for dispelling all your knowledge and your experience uh, doing different, being different. Um, anything you want to shout out or tell the people about? Uh, obviously, we've talked a lot about gear trade, but anything specifically you want to shout out? I, th- I think we've, you know, I think we've covered it all. You know, if you need to sell your used gear, come to Gear Trade. We'll help you move it. There it is. That's what I was looking for. We needed one plug, one real plug. You're looking for paddleboard. Do you guys have paddleboards? Is that a category that you guys are stocked in? Uh, we do sell paddleboards. Uh, we haven't had a lot of people send in paddleboards, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, but we do. I mean, we do have them on the site. You're gonna need more you than a lawnmower some, okay. box. You're gonna need more than a lawnmower box for a paddleboard sending in. It could yeah, look pretty you know, small. I mean, I mean, again, like, I mean, dude, I mean, the, the inventory that we get is it's wild. It's all over the place. Skis, snowboards, tents, sleeping bags. Like you're looking for really good outdoor equipment. Where's your spot? I'm not, I'm Perfect. not going to lie. Uh, I, I have a brand new daughter and I was looking at the, uh, the smallest sizes of snowboards you have because my wife cannot wait to put my brand new daughter on a snowboard. So I was like, this is actually, <laughs> oh, yeah. this is going to be probably the destination for that to happen. So, I mean, the, the kids stuff that we get in flies out the door. I bet. Yeah. I bet. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, I mean, the kids market is its own little thing, but, uh, sure. you know, the kids stuff that we get is, is, is it moves. Well, and a, and a perfect use case for, Hey, I've got a lot of this and it no longer fits my kids. And I would love to get something in return for the stuff we have and buy them new shit and, you know, keep right. it, keep it growing. So, I mean, we're, we're in the, my wife and I are in the same boat. We have a three-year-old, uh, she's a three-nager right now. Um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, it, it's interesting how you start to look at the world differently in terms of, well, do I buy, like, what do we, what do you buy? You know, and, and so we've kind of shifted our spend into brands that are, uh, you know, are a little bit more valuable. Uh, we know that we can resell, right? Because reselling is, is just like, you know, our, our daughter's going to wear this for three months and then we're going right. to resell it. So, you know, don't want to pay full price. Don't want to, don't want to buy brand new, but we want to buy brands that, that we know that we can, that we can turn around and, and resell. And so like the whole ethos and attitude uh, within that, it's just really interesting how it, how it kind of evolves. Yeah, that's great. Super cool. All right, Aaron, thanks again. And thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the SaaS Brand Strategy Show. If you want to learn more about how we, you can apply your different, your story and align your folks around it, uh, both internally and externally with your customers, um, go to dr- drmg.co or send us an email at hi at drmg.co. Make sure you go check out Gear Trade. Uh, send them a lawnmower box full of <laughs> gear and make someone's day at Gear Trade. Um, thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Dustin. Thanks, Again, Ryan. Thank you all for listening. We will, as yes. always, see you next week.